Welcome to the Gifted Life Podcast, where we have conversations about organ, tissue, and eye donation and transplantation. You can always find us at thegiftedlife.org. I'm Lori Steele. I'm Joey Boudreaux. I'm Sarah Blakemore. Coming up on the Gifted Life today. Birth tissue donation. What is it? What's it used for? We'll be talking to Nelson Ballard to find out all about it. And we're going to talk about three ways to be a better listener. All that and more right here. Episode 179. Hang on. Here on the Gifted Life Podcast, we are honored to have Nelson Ballard joining us. Hey, Nelson. Hello. Nelson serves as the manager, uh, the training and education manager for Sharing Miracles, which we love that title. But what you do is so amazing as well. So Sharing Miracles, what is it? Well, Sharing Miracles is a division of Tissue Tech, Inc., and we handle the procurement of the tissue, specifically birth tissue placentas and umbilical cords for the transplantation use into different biologic products. So what exactly, so what type of products uh, would you guys be uh, transplanting that into? Well, Tissue Tech Inc. specializes in unmet clinical needs. So what that means is that any area within the medical industry where there is a specific difficult case where wound healing is involved that you know, where we can make an impact, where currently there isn't something that is available for that kind of treatment course. So a couple of different examples would be advanced diabetic ulcers Mm -hmm. or disease processes of the corneal surface and helping those difficult wounds to heal effectively and restore good quality of life to those individuals. So what exactly is it about uh, the birth tissue that makes it special that, that like, why would it be used over, uh, you know, other, other means that we, uh, you know, I'm going back way, way back in the day, you know, for all of our, uh, wound care means that we had before. No, that's an excellent question. So the course that would be traditionally used for wound management in some advanced wounds could be amputation or, you know, some of the other, products that are available made of both natural and artificial barriers only focus on decreasing the risk for infection and creating a solid barrier across the uh, wound for like the matrix of the body's natural building processes to take place. Mm -hmm. What's special about birth tissue is that in fetal development, the baby doesn't actually have scars. They don't go through inflammation and scarification in the same way that an adult does during their healing process. So leveraging that base technology that's already present in naturally in umbilical cords and amnion, we're able to reduce scarring and inflammation and help to heal areas where there's not good oxygenation or poor circulation. So is it is it also so I'm trying to trying to wrap my head around things. So so I'll, a little backstory, personal backstory for me. I had a baby uh, just over a year ago, and uh, I know my wife 
had looked into and 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 we actually uh, went this direction with uh, cord blood kind of a, I think it's called cord blood registry is, is where we, we went. But, and what we were understanding is because of, you know, the stem cell portion, the regeneration portion of, of that, it could possibly help our child if something should happen later on. Is this some of the same idea here, some of the same science behind this? So this or is, is that a completely different thing? No, no. So this is an excellent question. So this, there's uh, two different directions that uh, we'll go with this. So the first thing is that the cord blood banking and also cord blood storage for your own private banking are two separate things. So if you bank the cord blood for yourself for future use, just as you described it, you can heal some disease processes and there are some treatments that can be made with the stem cells you know, from that cord blood. Additionally, there is a bank just like there is for blood banking, for storage of donated cord blood, which can then be used for the community, Mm -hmm. not specifically allocated Mm -hmm. for you. Now, the processes that are involved in those are specific to the stem cells and are typed and cross-matched, just like a blood donation. What's different about the birth tissue is that it recruits the stem cells that are already in the recipient's body. And it helps to build across that matrix. Can a person donate both cord blood and be a birth tissue donor? Yes, they sure can. So with the Sharing Miracles program, we believe that all donation is sacred. Mm. Even though we're not directly involved in organ and cadaveric tissue and donated tissue donation, we support that mission and it's ingrained as something that is inherent to our culture and our community. And we really want to advance all donation as a whole. Mm-hmm. So who can donate and, and walk us through the, the process? I'm a mom of three, but I haven't had a C-section and I'm seeing that uh, is, is mentioned um, in your information, but kind of walk us through uh, if you can. Absolutely. So A potential, well, so first off, I'd just like to mention that uh, it's really the baby who's the donor because the placenta and umbilical cord really do belong to the baby. But Mm -hmm. the mother, of course, is responsible for giving that informed consent on behalf of the baby. And we really like to look at this as kind of a shared donation between mother and baby kind of together, you know, sharing this with the community. Um, Who's qualified? Any mother who has a scheduled C-section can donate, of course, with, uh, you know, I'm sure that you were gonna ask about this a little bit later, but the donation process Mm -hmm. is very similar to other donations. So she would have to fill out an informed consent. We would explain what the process looks like, how the tissue will be used, how it's gonna benefit the community. And even though we view this as a low risk, you know, low, high reward uh, situation. We explain everything that goes into it so that they're aware and they're making a consent based on, you know, good, solid information. Then we complete a donor risk assessment interview, which, you know, very similar to the questions that you'd be asked when you donate blood, just about travel and different uh, social history. We'll review the prenatal, postnatal, and infant medical records. 
a physician, well, their physician will complete a physical examination of them and share that information with us. And then uh, like all tissue products, a medical director at our organization will make a final determination based on the serology results, you know, for infectious disease testing and all of those components that we just discussed previously to make sure that the tissue is suitable for our criteria and safe to make products for people. It sounds exactly like, like our, process. our processes. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny as yes, you're explaining very it. Similar. It's, I mean, even yeah. the DRE, we call it, you know, of course, yeah. the DRE, but uh, the, the donor risk uh, assessment interview. Uh, and, and down to the serology mm-hmm. testing and, and, and the medical history and all that, and, and even including medical, uh, you know, our um, medical director or, or others in, in other OPOs making a final decision. So it's, it's very, very similar. I'm curious. So, you know, we're overseeing mostly, for the most part, uh, CMS is our ultimate governing body. Uh, so what what regulatory bodies do you guys have to, uh, to to report to that do auditing for you? Well, the way that I look at it is it's a giant funnel. And at the largest opening of the funnel is the FDA. So the FDA is responsible for all regulations for tissue and biologics and pharmaceuticals, as well as medical devices. Then further, you know, we choose to be a member of the accreditation agency of the American Association of Tissue Banks. Very similar with uh, the organizations like OPOs, who also do tissue functions. And then, you know, lastly, the last component of that is our internal criteria, which we've established to ensure that each tissue that does come through and is released will make a safe product that will meet the expectations of our patients. Just so, you know, we can understand and our listeners can understand, what happens with the birth tissue when people don't donate it? You know, that is the thing that is the most sad to us, Mm -hmm. is the fact that when a mother chooses not to donate, which most mothers don't choose not to donate, they're not extended the opportunity to donate. So they're not making a conscientious decision to say no, it's just that no one ever asked. Mm -hmm. But when the tissue isn't used, it's just discarded as medical waste. Mm-hmm. So not only is it wasted from a donation standpoint, but it's actually a cost that's incurred by the hospital system to dispose of it. Mm. Which then probably the patient's family sees on the back end of billing. But is there any cost when you do donate the birth tissue? So there's no cost to the donation for the family or the mother. All related expenses are handled by the organization that facilitates the donation. And for all donated tissue, this is the case. And we're just in alignment with that same practice. So I'm a registered donor, right? I'm mom. I'm registered as an organ, eye, and tissue donor. This is separate um, understanding. And so when am I introduced to this information? I'm assuming I'm approached if I'm a candidate. Well, this is the huge opportunity that exists within birth tissue donation, as well as in the shared space of all other tissue donations and organ donation. The only way that they're going to know that this exists is if they are exposed to it through the community, through outreach, um, events that are hosted by organizations like ours, or listening to this podcast where they can hear that Mm -hmm. this is a question that they need to ask their OBGYN, or they need to 
ask the hospital where they're going to, you know, have their infant and bring awareness to the fact that this exists. And so if we say, yes, this is something that we want to do, is there any like time delay or anything um, in the process of, of having the baby? Uh, how does that impact? We value the donation, but what we value more than the donation is the mother and the infant's health and safety. So our process doesn't involve any interruption to patient care, no changes or delays in the actual process of delivering the infant. And we work with those healthcare providers and that team that's taking care of the mother to ensure that everything we do is happening in synchrony with their work. Now, where are there certain hospitals that you work within that um, a person would have to be a patient at a certain hospital to get your services or to donate with you or where? I guess, what's the scope of your practice? Well, the scope of our practice right now is limited to a few physicians who we are contracted with. If a mother is delivering with one of our contracted physicians, then that physician will bring up the topic of donation and go over the initial consent form. And then a member of our team will actually complete the official consent with the mother. And then we can proceed with the donation. So does this family get to know the impact of donation? I'm just thinking about our, our family services and we mm -hmm. let them know the, the impact. How does that work with you guys? Well, this is a huge gap in the birth tissue industry as a whole that Sharing Miracles is really looking to address. And that's, well, just to kind of segue for a second, not to uh, avoid your question, but due to federal regulations, you can't compensate someone financially for making this decision to donate. Mm -hmm. So what is more impactful to someone than a financial, you know, reimbursement or, you know, payment is knowing that what you did impacted someone's life in a positive way. So sharing these stories of how someone's life was changed, how mm -hmm. they can now walk, they can return that they love, um, they can see again, they can play with their kids. These are the kinds of stories that in all other times are readily shared with the families who made the decision to give this altruistic gift. So we are implementing these same kind of processes within the Shared Miracles program so that we can, you know, starting with just general stories from people who've received gifts, but then working through as the program builds traceability so that when an actual engagement occurs from a recipient, that we can share that with the donor mother. Well, this is all amazing. And like you said, any donation we support, we advocate for. So for our listeners who are interested or know someone who is thinking about having children and they are interested, where is the best place for them to find information to get in contact with y'all? Well, if they just go to our website at sharingmiracles.com, they'll find a host of information, some FAQs to address basic questions. And then there's even a contact me page. So if you do have a pending C-section, you can reach out to our organization. We can see if we're in your area and if we can, you know, contact your physician to make that donation happen. 
And if you're outside of our area, we are excited to engage with other organizations to make the gift happen however we can. Do you have how many donations made to date? How, how much of an impact you guys have made? That's a good question. I don't have those stats offhand, but what I can say is that to date, we've had 500,000 impacted recipients. Wow. That's amazing. We love to hear that. Still stewing on that. That's pretty amazing, Nelson. (laughs) You know, these these are big numbers. These are, you know, and keeping in mind that, you know, Yes, 500,000 is a lot, but thinking about that each one of these donations, you know, that's a person who can, you know, see without pain. You know, that's a person who is walking with maybe a toe that didn't have to be amputated. I mean, these people are very grateful and I know that they just want a way to reach back out to these mothers to say thank you for helping them to feel better again. Yeah, absolutely. Amazing story. Sharingmiracles.com. Thanks for your time, Nelson. Not a problem at all. Thank you. We all learned a lot today. We appreciate it. On every episode of The Gifted Life, we take a moment for mental health. Yeah, Sarah, what's the surprise you got for us today? <laughs> We're going to talk about how to listen better, everybody. What, what is it? Wait. Yeah, listening. <laughs> oh. Hearing. <laughs> listening or hearing? <laughs> Both. <laughs> All right. If you're listening while you're hearing, I'll say that. Okay. So um, it's huge communication, everything. We always talk about that and listening to each other so that we can understand better is, you know, always good to freshen up our skills. So the first thing we're going to do is we're going to listen collaboratively. So what does that mean? As that a means team? yes, so oh. you're engaged exactly. So you're listening, you're going beyond what they're telling you, you're going a little bit deeper, you're collaborating in the process of communication with the intention of listening clearly. So you're listening, not listening to, to listening, respond, not, listening to understand. Right. That's exactly right. Yeah, you are there and present. You're not thinking what am I going to say next? What not am I going to share? Yes. My that's exactly thing to right. do. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So um, kind of leading into our next one, which is we you should always be listening to learn. I know a lot of times when we communicate, um, we or argue, I would say, you're not listening to learn and understand the other person. You're listening because you've got something to say next and mm-hmm. you have a rebuttal or a response. Um, but make sure you're hearing them. And you're not just listening to respond to what you have to say. It's going to make the other person feel heard and it'll like deepen your communication with that person. That's good in theory. Yes. In practice is much harder <laughs> to, to do. It's still yeah. good in practice. It's just hard to do. Exactly. And I think which leads to our next point, which is which will make it a little bit easier is to listen for emotional connection. So what does that mean? That means having an open heart. So letting the words the person is saying and the meaning behind the words really wash into you, trying to listen so that you can maybe walk a mile in somebody else's shoes. Um, Empathetic listening. The way to do all of this is to remain present in the conversation. Don't let your mind wander. Focus Mm -hmm. in and be totally present so that you can communicate better and hear what the other person is saying. What'd you Mm -hmm. say? 
<laughs> I was totally listening. I was totally listening. All good points. Uh, maybe you have a topic you'd like Sarah to cover. Email us, info at thegiftedlife.org. In our question and answer segment today, how does something go from research trials to approved practice? Joe? So in these situations, and what we're talking for us, it's medicine, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the FDA oversees everything from food and then everything in medicine, drugs, and, and even even machines, equipment, things like that. So that's all FDA under the FDA purview. So for, for a research trial, of course, you've got to present uh, different preclinical type trials. You have preclinical trials and then clinical trials. Um, what you have to do in those is establish that both validity and reliability uh, are obtained with what you're trying to do. In other words, with validity, are are you actually doing? Is it doing what it says? It's that what you're saying that it's supposed to be doing, and then reliability is is where does it have the consistency in? Uh, if you if you take it outside of the trial, then is the is it going to react the same in the general population? Mm-hmm. So the trials have to be big enough. So that you can clearly establish these, and I'm not the research, I'm not the scientist to, to get into all the the, the p value and all that, but but essentially those have to be well established, and then presented to, to the FDA, and then they go through the approval uh, process of if 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 it's if it's both valid and reliable through a number of studies, then it is, uh, and only then, and it's a tough process. Is it up for, is it, yeah. is it become FDA approved? Mm-hmm. For, for you. So that's why you see things in in a research uh, phase for so long, especially for us, because they're trying to establish both of those so that that it's you don't want to ever take something or, you know, have something from a medical standpoint that uh, it's not only about it being effective. It's about it also being safe. So it has mm-hmm. to be clearly demonstrated that it's both safe and effective for Which the I consumers. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. If you have a question for us, you can visit Lopa's resource page or give us a call at 504-648-3477. In every episode of the Gifted Life podcast, we honor a hero. Today's hero is Andrea Michelle Bolt. And we learn more about her from her family. My family was introduced to Lopa when my sister Andrea passed away due to a head trauma from an automobile accident in 1993. There was no doubt she would become an organ donor. It wasn't a hard decision. Several months later, my parents received a letter from Lopa sharing that the recipients had received Andrea's organs and to thank our family for the gift of life. Fast forward all these years later, and I wanted to know more about Lopa and any information I could get. My parents have both passed at this point, and the letter was nowhere to be found. So with the help of Lopa, I was introduced to Libby, and she was able to find some information that would help me. I was very lucky that she was able to find anything from so long ago. She helped me so much, understanding that Andrea is a hero. Every recipient, their families and friends, know her name. I had never looked at it that way before. A few weeks after our conversation, I received a package from Libby and Lopa with a medal of honor with Andrea's name engraved on it. It immediately brought tears to my eyes and my heart full of love. I have made a new friend in Libby and Lopa. I feel everyone should know the importance of being an organ donor. God has placed it in my heart to tell Andrea's story. I don't know exactly what that looks like yet. Unfortunately, I don't know anything about the recipients. 
but I know that when they received a part of Andrea, they got something special. Thank you, Libby and Lopa. Andrea's Medal of Honor with her photo are proudly placed on my special shelf in my home, along with special memories from my parents. And now we pause and say thank you to Andrea for the gift of life. And that is episode 179 of The Gifted Life. Yeah, special thanks to Nelson Ballard for coming on, explaining to us just a little bit more about what this is, this birth tissue that, you know, I had no real idea. It's hard. To, I know the concepts. Yeah. I understand regenerative medicine to a point, but he really did a great job. And it's funny how much synergy there is between mm-hmm. uh, that group and ours. And I just can't wait to see where this goes in the future. You know, we see the, the, the potential mm-hmm. that's there Absolutely. of growth in so many different areas. All right. Thanks to Nelson. And thank you for listening. Remember, you can register as an organ, eye and tissue donor anytime. Registerme.org. The best place to find us, guys. Tell your friends. Thegiftedlife.org. You can listen to any of our episodes on our website or wherever you like to listen, whether it's iHeartRadio, Apple or Google. If you do listen on Apple, go ahead and rate, review and subscribe so that others can find us. On social media, guys, Facebook, we're the Gifted Life Podcast, Instagram and Twitter at Gifted Life Pod. Thanks for listening. We ask that you go out and do something you wouldn't normally do to help us make life happen. This is a production of LOPA, or the Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency. The Gifted Life is hosted by Lori Steele, Joey Boudreau, and Sarah Blakemore. Our executive producer is Kirsten Hines. Producer is Shalon Caraway. Intern is Rebecca Ranham. And we are recorded, engineered, and mixed in our Covington, Louisiana studio by Troy Perez. <laughs>